The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series written by Mercedes Lackey, Dennis Lee, Cody Martin, and Veronica Jaguer. Presenting Season 6, Revolutions. Permitted, Part 2. Written by Dennis Lee and Mercedes Lackey. Red stood in awkward confusion, staring at the door through which the two most important women in his life had just fled. From him. Ah, Red, old boy, you still got that magic touch. Bella. Vix. What was it about him that made them both turn into neurotics, or in Vix's case, more neurotic, around him? Women. So messed up. And what was it about women that the better they were, the more messed up they got around him? Who to go after? Bella or Vix? One way or another, he knew, absolutely knew, that he was going to have to put some sort of conclusion to this running away shit. And he knew there was one woman he had to deal with now, right this minute. He started for the door, to follow, determined to have this dealt with one way or another when the door shut in his face. The hell? Suddenly, and with no warning whatsoever, the room suddenly got very warm. There was a scent of sandalwood, cinnamon, and vanilla, and simultaneously as he sensed a presence behind him, the room seemed to get claustrophobically smaller, as if something far too big for it had crowded inside. I greet you, Timothy Torres, said a voice that was inside his ears and his head at the same time, a voice that had so many over- and undertones, it sounded like a chorus. He yelped and stumbled back. Great, let's add another woman to the equation. Bring on the crazy! I am neither mortal woman nor crazy. Timothy Torres, the voice said, sounding faintly amused. He turned, and there she was. It was her, the one talked about in hushed whispers and furtive glances, as if they were all afraid she could overhear them. He understood. She seemed like the real deal, had that whole aura thing going and everything, and pupilless golden eyes that seemed to peer into his very soul. Uh, that can't be a pretty sight. It was hard to tell what she was looking at exactly. Without pupils to follow, he had no reference, no way to read her. He checked for body language instinctively and got another disconcerting jolt because she didn't have any. She was still, in a way, no one he had ever met, at least no one who wasn't in a coma, dead or almost dead like Tombstone, could be. In fact, everything about her threw off everything he knew about reading people, and he might as well have been blind and deaf. He closed his eyes, ignored the sense that assaulted his skin, and there it was. What he couldn't see or hear or smell, he felt. It was judgment, her judgment, and it was harsh. She is not for you, Timothy Torres. Now it wasn't amusement in her voice, but admonishment. It may be that she is not for anyone, but she is not for you. The path you take pursuing her is not a good one. Not for her, and not for the futures. Then she sighed. I determine I do not judge. I may sometimes inform. You may ignore me. You would not be the first. But the path is not a good one. Yeah, Red interrupted, his hand held high and timid like a schoolchild, his eyes still shut, his expression pained. 
Why don't we start with something simple? Hi, I'm Red. Not Timothy Torres. And I'd really appreciate it if you never said that name again. There are but three that know that Torres and Jeannie are the same. Two are dead, and one is myself. I shall not speak the name again. A pause. Does that please you? It's a start, he answered, and stopped. Red opened his eyes and started counting on his fingers. He waggled two fingers speculatively, but looked confused at the third. It is not permitted for you to know, she told him. Not yet. The hell with that lady! He would have continued, but she interrupted him. Enough. You have a choice before you, she said. There are those who matter to the futures, and there are those who do not. I do not see you in the present, Red Genie, and I do not see you on the path you intend to pursue. But there are other paths, and they branch from this moment. I do not order. I do not advise. I only give information. And in this I am permitted to only tell you so much. Unless you choose to be unseen and matter not, not even so much as a cipher on the pages of the future, she is not for you. Red found it hard to look right at her. He had never believed in God. Of course, there was a time he hadn't believed in magic either. He had since accepted that much of this world, this reality, was a mystery for a reason. The blatant transparency of having a bona fide angel telling him what to do, or rather what not to do, sort of flew in the face of that. And in typical Red fashion, he stiffened in anger when he should have fallen to his face in abject terror of being held in judgment by a higher power. Lady, despite what you've heard, I'm really not all that egotistical. Not enough to care about being uh, seen. If you haven't noticed, I'm more about not being seen. You are deliberately misunderstanding, or feigning that you are. There might have been a tiny shading of irritation there. I know you, Red Genie. I can read you. When I say that you are not seen, it means that you are not important to the lives, not only of those you have connected with, but those so far outside that web that you have only taken brief thoughts for them. And that they still will not know your name, nor who you are, when this chapter ends, but you will have mattered to them. You will be part of the reason they still live, that the world still lives, even if no one ever knows it was you. That is what it means to be seen, and that is your choice. Do you matter? Or do you not? Again, she lost even the slightest shading of expression and went utterly and completely still. Even when his eyes were closed, he read nothing but waiting. Man, and I thought Vix was long-winded, he said finally. You're telling me it's about choice, that I have, through a simple matter of choice, to become someone important, 
someone who can change or even save the world. Yes, she said simply. Who do you think I am, Jesus? No, she replied. For one thing, Jesus had more hair. Her eyes blinked slowly, as if startled by her own joke. Red watched her intently. She was so alien, so unreadable, and yet there it was, finally, something to catalogue for future reference. A touch of... humanity? She wasn't completely indecipherable after all. It is always about choice, she continued. Free will and choice are the ruling laws of the universe. A very long pause. To save the world, Regini, you must first save yourself. Lady, I don't want to save the world. You think I asked for any of this? I'm just trying to get by here. The words sounded anything but convincing, especially to him. It was clear he wasn't fooling her either, as if he could. Like so many, you seek redemption. You fear you will not find it, that you may not even deserve it. I am here to tell you, Red Genie, that redemption is within the grasp of all who seek it, of all who would sacrifice what is needed to earn it. Forgiveness is always possible. Those strange eyes felt like lasers, burning away every bit of bullshit he had buried himself in. Always. The question is if you yourself are ready to pay for forgiveness. Forgiveness itself is there, waiting for you to accept it. Those that had witnessed her arrival during the invasion would have said her power lay in her fire, in her sword, and the merciless way she cut down her enemies. They were wrong. Her power lay in her words, in revealing simple truths that stripped away all manner of concealment. Red had shielded himself behind not only his signature scarf and any number of disguises, but with lies and half-truths that he had persistently piled upon himself over the years. He had been relentless, unable to deal with even simple insecurities with anything even remotely resembling reality, that in time he had accepted his own illusions as fact. The seraphim, with her burning clarity, had neatly cut a swath through them all, and he felt his innermost demons laid bare for her to discover. At his core he was an opportunist. That might have been bad enough, but there was always that voice in his head, Amethyst's voice, as a constant reminder that he could be more. Every once in a while her voice won, and he would try to make amends, usually with disastrous consequences. It didn't matter what he did, he would always hurt people, especially those he loved. He was nothing. No, worse than nothing. He was a curse to all around him. Stop. Visions flooded in on him the most recent, just charging in to help that kid, Pike. Hours spent coaxing Vix out of her apartment, over the obstacles, real and in her mind. The gut-wrenching moment when he just convinced himself to accept her and her magic as inseparable, even though he loathed the thought of it. And farther back, moments when he had done exactly the right thing, even when it cost him. The visions engulfed him like a tidal wave, but thank God, they stopped just short of his life with Amethyst. Enough. Use the past to change the future. 
another set of rapid blinks. You must cease beating that dead horse. He could barely look at her. She was so radiant. He felt the tears in his eyes and wondered how she had broken him so quickly, so completely. So, tell me what to do, he said, surrendering. One single perfect tear formed at the corner of her left eye and traced a path down her cheek. I cannot. It is not permitted. I can only tell you there is a choice and not dictate what that choice may be. Please, he begged. I'm so lost. It is before you. I cannot tell you what to do. It is not... Abruptly, her head came up, like a hound scenting danger. I must go. What? There is a need. It is imperative. I must go. She started to fade. And with that, Red felt all sense of awe and vulnerability fall away, leaving only his anger. Hey, you can't just leave me with this crap. We're not done here. I'm coming too. She solidified again, looking at him with astonishment. You cannot follow where I must go. Like hell I can't. In desperation, he leapt for her and grabbed her arm, pulling her back. It is not... Abruptly, her words cut off, and a look of utter astonishment came over her face, as if he had somehow managed to shock God himself. Something had changed, profoundly. It is permitted, the seraphim said, and the world went blank. In the beginning... There was darkness. The seraphim had suggested to Bulwark that he should begin by reconstructing his little waiting space after having so efficiently destroyed it, rather in the manner of, You broke your toys. Here are glue and wire and tools. If you want something to play with, you will have to fix them yourself. Given his will, energy, and creativity, she expected to find something livable when she returned. Instead, she found one shadowed, claustrophobic cube with bulwark in it. This was not good. Finding his image sitting cross-legged and hunched over on the floor of the cube was even worse. Gardner Ward, she said, in mingled alarm and admonition. Why are you... What are you doing? Waiting, he replied, dully. For you. You are doing rather less than waiting, she replied because with every moment that passed, he was fading a little, as were his surroundings. In human parlance, circling the drain, she believed it was called. What is wrong? She stepped into his space and flung her wings wide, blowing open the walls and, with a thought, re-establishing some of the ambience that had been here before he destroyed it. Light grass, flowers, mostly light. He appeared not to notice. Wrong. He looked confused. Nothing is wrong. I'm not sure that anything is approaching right, either. Is it time to go back now? 
She could fix this. She could fill him with hope. She could show him things he would not remember when he awoke, but which would awaken his desire to join the world again. It is not permitted. He is not ready. She shook her head. You were tasked with restoring this place, she said. Why have you not done so? Bulwark stood up, came to attention, and looked around. He gave her a slight shrug. What would be the point? He was, as ever, a soldier. He stood at ease, though some spark, something vital, was missing. She saw his willingness to return, to carry on, though it stemmed from a sense of obligation and responsibility. There was nothing but a stubborn code of duty that fueled him, and that would not do. Not at all. No one ever returned from these crossroads with anything less than a strong will to fight, driven by something that simply could not let them pass onward. While he was prepared to face life again, he was not willing to embrace it. In fact, he would dutifully perform until something killed him. A mere animated shell. She could fix this. It is not permitted. He is not ready. This was not the gardener ward that mattered. A robot would do better. Red Genie would do better, though not by much nor in the needed direction. Briefly she considered allowing him to fade away, but nothing in the futures gave her the clue of how to make Red Genie into what was needed. You know... A familiar voice said. I can kind of hear snippets of your thoughts here. She turned and saw the genie grimacing. And thanks for the vote of confidence. If you deserved confidence, I would have it in you. She said sharply, perhaps more sharply than was warranted. She felt rattled. Unworthy of being trusted as an instrument. She should be able to see more solutions. Instead, her paths just became more muddled. The point would be to be willing to live and not just exist, Gardner Ward, she said, equally sharply, ignoring Red's snort at hearing Bull's real name. Bulwark didn't seem to hear Red or even realize he was there. The world does not need another short-timer going through the motions. The world needs those who are fully engaged in it, who have a stake in seeing it survive. Call me Bull, Bulwark said. Appropriate, since that is what you are feeding me. Again, she heard the genie snort. Be willing to tell me the truth. What is holding you back? Nothing, Bull answered. I am prepared to go back. You have my promise that I will do everything in my power, use everything in my arsenal to fight whatever is thrown at me. Desperately, she began to sort through futures, narrowing her focus to bulwark, trying to find a thread, any thread, where she could re-engage his will for life. Dimly, she became aware of someone peering over her shoulder, as it were. The genie. The infinite was allowing him to see what she could, even as it had allowed her to bring him here. She didn't know why. But she was a seraphim, one of the siblings, and the seraphim trusted the infinite at all times and in all things. The infinite wished for this, and so it would be. Perhaps there was something there that it wished him to know, something it would take too long for her to tell him, or to convince him of. 
sometimes seeing was believing. So she sorted and allowed him to watch. Red felt as if his mind were expanding. It had to, to accommodate the near-infinite stream of realities that seemed to run through it. It was the perspective that made it both manageable and utterly chaotic at the same time. From a single point in time, the possibilities streamed out as countless rays, each leading to countless more. A forever tree with crystalline branch points, beautiful and horrible to behold. Yes, said the voice dryly. This is what I do. Perhaps now you understand why those who are seen are important. Red didn't answer. He was locked in place, unable to tear his eyes away from it. He couldn't make out much in the way of specifics, but he was able to ascertain various patterns and general outcomes. There were some branches that ended abruptly with something. He understood it to mean, this is not permitted. Those branches were ones that began with an action on her part. There were a lot of those, and more sprang up as she frantically sped through her task. Frantic was the correct word. He was somehow able to sense more stress, more anxiety with every moment. And he understood, though he could not have said how, that such emotions, emotions in general, were utterly foreign to her. Oddly enough, love, a sort of generic, all-encompassing brotherly love, compassion, grief, those she knew. Fear, though, that was new. And she was afraid. Those who are seen are important. He understood, and slowly he found his perspective hurtling into the infinite futures to pick out key moments, key players, and the impact they made on this universe. Bella seemed to be pivotal in many of them, and she was either alone, taking strength and support from her closest friends, or with either Bull, or in a very, very few Yankee pride. Mostly she was alone, or beside Bull, the very embodiment of his call sign, a true bulwark. The seraphim concentrated on those, and whether he liked it or not, Red was along for the ride. Bull wasn't perfect, neither was Bella, but at the most key moments he did the right thing, protecting when she was at her weakest, standing at her back when she needed support, waiting when she was strong, never holding her back even though he wanted to for her own sake, but mostly never urging the selfish over the selfless. Together they meant something, and although Red was not allowed to see the ends of those branches, it seemed that they were making a difference in, well, saving the world all out of proportion to what two people could reasonably be expected to do. But it wasn't perfect. They fought. Some of those branches ended with Bella alone again. Some, a lot fewer, ended her with pride. Some just ended. It was the ones with Bull that the Seraphim just kept coming back to. Red felt his stubbornness hardening, like cement setting. Big deal. I could have that. I can do that. He pursued the branches where he was the one that had Bella, where Bull came back and with dull and lifeless fortitude pursued duty until duty killed him, or where he didn't come back at all. And he and Bella were fine together, more than fine, they were happy. Of course they were, he knew how to make her happy, and she was looking for someone she could make happy, someone who could surprise her, someone she could surprise. But something was wrong. Something was terribly, horribly wrong. They might have been happy, but no matter what he did, no matter how good they were for each other. Well, the branches that the seraphim was chasing all dove into this huge blank area. And on the other side of that blank, a blank he understood instinctively, 
partly from her frustration, that the seraphim could not see through either. The world had gone to hell. All parties were losing, no matter what they did. Whether they all fought separately or somehow united and fought together, it all went down into flaming hell. This is what Matthew March saw. This is what Alex Tesla called the Ides of March. This is why Matthew begged me for death. And no wonder. You die, he dies, she dies. Everybody dies. He and Bella were just fine, right up until they died horribly along with everybody else. And whether they died early in the massacre or late, what happened after that was the world going under the grinding boot heel of the Thulians, and... And then the Thulians turned their attention outward, and he knew it wasn't going to stop with the earth. He felt the seraphim's frustration, anxiety, even terror. She wanted to intervene, but every single branch where she did was slammed with that big fat no-entry sign. She had to intervene, but she couldn't. And she couldn't make out what it was that would turn them all away from those paths into hell. Shit, woman, just make something up. But it seemed that she couldn't. So, frustrated, he felt her turn her attention away from the futures and into the past. And now the past, one solid, unbroken braid made up of a multitude of threads stretched out before them both. He sensed she hoped to find an answer there, as she began tracing back the path of Gardner Ward's life, working from this moment backwards. Which meant they were both looking right into the man's past thoughts, at the moment when he destroyed everything in his holding pen in his surge of grief, pain, and rage. Rage at being told his wife was dead, and the seraphim refusing to divulge the information of how, when, and why. His wife. Victoria Summers. Amethyst. The seraphim found herself somehow abruptly shoved aside. It made no sense. A mortal was not supposed to have that sort of power over a sibling, but she felt the reins of this particular horse seized from her hands, and the genie took over. He didn't have control of more than a fraction of her abilities, of course. He couldn't. The sheer strength of the torrent of information would have made him go madder than Matthew March had, instantaneously but he used what little that he could control to sift ruthlessly through Bulwark's past. Mostly the reason he had been able to take over was because he had taken her utterly by surprise. Mortals could do that. Mortals were unpredictable, and even she could be surprised by them. Mortals had the most precious gifts of the infinite, free will and creativity. But he could not keep control for long, and she moved to take it back. No, sibling. This is permitted. Astonished for a second time in as many nanoseconds, she held her hand and her power and watched over him, ready to move in at any time if her powers endangered his mind. The infinite had spoken. He was now, potentially, important, and had earned that much protection. So she lent him stability, trickled power to him, and subtly guided his hand when she knew what he wanted, so that he became a laser scalpel, rather than a case of dynamite. She struggled as he floundered, overpowered by so much disbelief and rage that it was all she could do to keep him contained. This was the past, and he could not change it, no matter how much he might want to. And it was not memory which could be mistaken. 
It was what had happened, unvarnished and unshaded. Amethyst and Bulwark, Victoria and Gardner Ward. He witnessed all of it, from their first meeting, their first mission, their growing attraction to each other, and when it had finally blossomed into love. Their wedding, long conversations concerning children, their future, their loved ones. It seemed as if Amethyst had indeed moved on. The seraphim felt the genie's pain, his denial, and finally his anguish, as Amethyst never once mentioned him to Bulwark, had never seemed anything but complete and fulfilled with this man. She watched as Red brought up Bulwark and Amethyst's first date, and with longing reached up to cup Amethyst's blushing face in his hand, finding nothing to grasp but a faded image from the heart of all time. And then, with his other trembling hand, he brought up an image of Bella, the first time she had spoken to Bulwark, just seconds after she had driven the genie to his knees with a well-placed punch. She was blushing, and the seraphim was struck by the similarities shared between these two women. Genie saw it, too. Both strong. Both determined to do what was right, regardless of what it cost them. Both beautiful, both unconcerned with their own beauty. Both not just ready, but eager to give everything to help another. Both, if he was to be honest, attracted by the same qualities in Bulwark. Qualities he was noticeably lacking in. I am Sorry for your loss. These were more than words. They were backed by what the seraphim was. She did understand. How could she not? She felt what he felt and shook with the power of it. His heart wailed with the injustice of it, of losing not just one but two women to this man, and she wept with him. Show me, the genie said. What do you wish to see? Show me, Red snarled. What happens to me without her? He didn't have to specify who he met. Much of that future is hidden from me she said, and uncharacteristically knelt to him for a moment in humility. I am truly sorry. This is the source of my own uncertainty. I think it is not so much hidden, but so in flux that even I would go mad trying to sort through it all. I will show you what I can, and I beg you, believe that I would show you more if I could. I will show you all I am permitted, in fact all that I am permitted to know. Will that be enough? I'll let you know, he replied. Do it. And so she did. Fragments, mostly, as much as she could snatch from the branches that were changing so quickly that they were blurring even to her. Mostly he was in pain. Mostly he was achingly alone. But too much was unknown, too much was obscured and within such a short period of time. Past a year at most, the seraphim's vision revealed nothing for this man. But around him, the world was slowly improving. They won victories, small ones at first, then greater, then the great blank. But on the other side of that, on the other side of that, instead of virtually every branch of the future ending in hellfire and Thulean conquest, 
something else flared into existence. A few tenuous strands of fate began to burn with hope, began to pulse with renewed vigor, with the promise that all was not lost. And there were glimpses in those futures of the people he had come to care about, despite himself, battered, worn, almost broken, but triumphant. It's what needs to happen, he said finally. It starts here, doesn't it? With a choice. The seraphim nodded, reached out for him, and gave him what compassion she could. With a sacrifice, she said. But the choice is yours. It always has been. Now, it's not much of a choice at all, Red replied. But you're going to make me say it, aren't you? She nodded, and Red turned to meet her unearthly gaze. She is not for me, he said. The little pocket of unreality rang like a bell. It is permitted, Seraphim. The Red Genie is ready. Of course, it had not been Bulwark who was not ready, it had been the Genie. With pure joy, the Seraphim leapt from the gate like a racehorse released and poured herself into Bulwark. She gave him glimpses of his future. She gave him glimpses of his past, the things that would galvanize him rather than sinking him. She showed him how very much he meant to those around him. But most of all, she gave him hope. That, too, was another thing she knew, and knew well. The bits of the future she knew he would forget as soon as he awoke. But he would remember the hope. She was like a radiant torrent refilling a dry parched lake. No matter how profound his grief, it could not prevail against her. And she found, and ruthlessly slew, the little worm of despair the evil thing called Harmony had left to gnaw at his soul, a thing that Vicky and Bella had both missed. This, too, was permitted. She filled him with her fire, and pulled him back from the abyss, and then she used words to trigger that fire. I had not thought that Bulwark was a coward, she said, scathingly, lashing him with contempt. That got his attention. Gardner Ward may have been called many things in his lifetime, but coward wasn't one of them. Nor did I believe that he was lazy, she continued. Yet there you stand, taking the cowards, the lazy man's way out. I will do my duty, you say, knowing very well that merely doing your duty is not enough, is never enough. Knowing that everyone who steps back into life must be invested in life, and determined to fight through whatever life flings in his path. But no, you will walk in and walk out, not even so much as an extra on the stage because you are too much coward and too lazy to step up and actually live. She sensed his anger slowly igniting, but that was not what she wanted. Anger alone would not bring him through this. Yes, coward, I say again. You knew Victoria was no longer living long before I told you. And yet you fought. You lived. You even loved. You connected with and cared for those around you. But now... You use this fact of her death as the excuse to give up. Death is nothing. 
Even if you had not the evidence of your own experience of my presence to prove that, you know that death is nothing. But no. Now you will give up. Let loose of those connections you have made. Deny the ones you might make in the future if you were not such a coward. If you dared to have the courage to care, to have the hunger to feed mankind, if you dared to reach out. You are angry? Prove that I am wrong. Again, he would have said something, but she cut him off. Yes, you are in pain. So is everyone around you, and you know that. And you are lonely. All mortals are lonely. That is the condition of mortality, that you can only briefly touch one another and only if you have the great courage to reach out, to risk more pain, to risk rejection, to bet all against the chance of that connection. You had that bulwark. You could have it again, but no, you are afraid. Terrible contempt colored her words. And you think you are all alone in that? Fear? You know nothing of fear. And she showed him. Vicky, fighting back panic from the moment she woke to the moment she slept, wrestling with more fear in her very dreams. Acrobat battling constantly with his own insecurity. Scope, certain that she was never, ever going to come up to the mark she had set herself, no matter how well she did. She even gave him brief glimpses of Red's pain, though not the cause, never the cause, and not his thoughts. And Bella, struggling every moment of every day beneath the burden of being the de facto leader of a rebellion with few resources and no assurances whatsoever, a role in which she felt crushingly inadequate, and a role which she knew was one that could, and probably would, kill her friends. Friends who trusted her and her decisions that she would knowingly send straight into the jaws of death. Are you finished? Bull asked. Are you? She countered. No, he said, and she felt his resolve. The fires she had lit within him die down to bright, self-sustaining coals. And that was all. He was bulwark after all. She had restored his connection, his willingness to connect with those he held dear. Before, he felt a duty to return. Now there was impatience. There was work to do, and he was bulwark. He was ready. She softened and surrounded him with compassion. No, you are not finished. You have not yet begun. Let us go home. She held out her hand to him. Now it is time. He didn't hesitate and took her hand in his. This time, the world didn't fade to black. Red felt his hand fly to his eyes as a crescendo of light flared up around them. When it subsided, he found himself standing next to the seraphim at Bull's bedside. Bella was there, sitting next to Bull and sprawled across his chest. She wiped the tears from her face and looked up at them, astonished. And then, without fanfare, Bull opened his eyes and sat up. He gave Bella a soft pat on her arm and turned to the seraphim. He nodded. She smiled. There was still compassion in that smile, and sadness, even grief. There was understanding and shared pain, 
She knew this was no happy ending, that the odds were terribly against them, and that she had asked them all to step forward, unflinching, to accept that world of anguish. She said nothing. Her look said it all. Bella gave a low cry and threw herself around Bulwark. He patted her back gently. I've been told you might need my help in the next little while, he said. Red chuckled and shook his head. Bull was back. Definitely back. Did you take a graduate course in understatement? Bella asked, around what sounded like a few tears. Don't you ever, ever do this to me again? You hear me? Yes, ma'am, Bull said. I apologize for the delay in returning. You'll have a full report on the matter on your desk in the morning. Morhan, she replied. Red chuckled again, but the laugh died in his throat. Bella's joy and Bull's palpable, if somewhat veiled, relief at being back felt like a dagger twisting in his gut. He tried not to think about what had just happened here, what his choice had cost him. He made another choice then, one to leave, when he felt the seraphim stop him with a touch. He turned back and met her gaze with his own. Red genie, she said, touching his face with shaking hands. Yeah? I can see you. Her eyes held him, full of grief and remorse, compassion, and maybe, just maybe, a touch of pride, pride in him. That's great, darling, he said. He turned away, walked purposely to the door, and left. This has been Revolutions, Season 6 of The Secret World Chronicle. The Secret World Chronicle is narrated and produced by Veronica Jaguer, with music by Kevin MacLeod from Incompetech.com. Find us at www.secretworldchronicle.com, like us on Facebook, and circle us on Google+. And as always, thank you for listening.